Wow, she's walking. <laughs> oh, gosh. When did that happen? Uh, I think it's getting better as well, too. Wow. Okay. Have we already started recording? Okay. Great. Well, it's so good to see all of you here this morning. Hallelujah. So I get to preach to you. But I pray this morning that as we, as we adhere to the word of the Lord this morning, that you will open your hearts. I believe that God has something wonderful that he wants to say. You know, one of the things that I love about God is that um, God always knows exactly what we need. And, uh, and, and what I mean by that is, you know how you can, the Bible says in Proverbs that a man's mind plans his way, but it's God is the one that directs his steps. And so it's so wonderful to know that even though we make plans and we say, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing, that when we're open to the spirit of God, then God will just come and he'll redirect our plans. He will just give us a word right at the right time in the right season, the right place. And it's so good. I am so glad that he left us his Holy Spirit because that means that we can expect some wonderful and great things to happen. And so this morning, we're going to be starting a brand new series, and it's called the Principles Series. And what we'll be doing is we'll be, for the coming weeks, we'll be extrapolating certain principles from the Word of God that I believe that will catapult us into a deeper, more refined uh, relationship with our Savior that will make us prosperous in every aspect of our lives and our spirit bodies, mind. God wants us healthy in every aspect. God wants us healthy in our relationships. He wants us healthy in our bodies. He wants us healthy to feel good about ourselves. He wants us excited about what he is doing. And so we're going to be talking about some principles to live by. And uh, as we begin to explore and, and really lay hold of these principles, uh, I believe that our lives will be radically changed for the better. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter number 9, the gospel of Luke chapter number 9, and we'll begin reading in verse number 23, the gospel of Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Daily, 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 and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Father, help us as we study. As we all know, many of the Sometimes ministries and sermons that we listen to oftentimes speaks about the issue of God bringing us out. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I've always, and I'm always dealing with things in my life that I want God to bring me out. And many of these ministries or ministers, they kind of, you know, in a way kind of teach oftentimes what it is that God can do for you. Now, that does have its place. It does have its place that we that we seek God, that we ask God to deliver us from certain bondages and things that we're dealing with and situations that we're dealing with. But one of the things that I think that is missed in all of that, and I don't think that, that ministers, uh, I would hope that they don't do this on purpose, but one of the things that is lost in all of that is the principle of self-denial. Now, as I begin this topic, Right from the onset, it is not one of those topics that is attractive and one that you would rush to your Christian bookstore to buy the book uh, on self-denial because everything in our society teaches us, everything in our society teaches us that it's all about us. And that when we talk about the principles of self-denial, I think the reason why so many Christians feel a little bit uncomfortable with that is because we really haven't grasped the concept of what it fully means. Because Jesus just said here that if we lose our life, he said we'll find it. You already know that Jesus said it this way, that I have come that you might have life more abundantly. And so what that means is God wants us to have a joyful life. God wants us to have a life that is full of excitement. God wants us to live a life that is, that, is, that is clean and prosperous. The Bible says in the book of 3 John, it says that I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in good health. I think we ought to understand that our God wants us to prosper. He, he wants us to be in good health. God wants us to live a life to the full, overflowing. He wants us to be abundant people. If you don't believe that, read Deuteronomy chapter 28. God outlines there a whole bunch of blessings that he wants to bestow on his people. God wants to bestow blessing and favor on his people. But the issue is not whether or not God wants to bless us because we understand that he does. But I think where we miss it sometimes is the way by which we obtain the blessing and favor of God. So then now Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus teaches us. Jesus says, you're to follow me. So Jesus teaches us how we, ought, how we ought to live and, 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 and how we ought to, to, to uh, live our lives before God. Jesus comes and he teaches us the principle of self-denial. He said, now, if you want to find life, joyful life, abundant life, then he said, you got to be willing to get rid of yours. Now, we don't like that because... All of our life, we have been used to being in control. You know, your, your parents may have told you coming up, you know, look out for yourself because if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. You may have been hurt in the past. You may have experienced some things in your life that makes you a little bit skeptical. And so what happens is you hold on to your life instead of saying, God, whatever you say, I'm willing to release it and to let it go. I'm willing, God, to follow you no matter what happens. I'm willing to deny myself. You see, it's not God's job to follow us. 
It's our job to follow God. I think if we're honest, oftentimes what we do is that we decide what we're going to do, and then we ask God to bless it. I know I have been guilty of that. There have been times when I just decided in my mind that this is what I want. God, this is what I want, and God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bless this. And there were times when I never even said, God, wait a minute, wait a minute, God. Lord, with what you're doing in my life, is this the right time? Is, the right, is this the right season? God, is this what you're wanting me to do right now? And I think in some ways the reason why I didn't want to deal with that was very simple because I had in my mind what I wanted to do, and all I cared about was that God just bless it. God, just bless what I want to do, and God, don't take because after all, it's not sin. After all, there's nothing wrong with what I may want is It's just that I want this. And Jesus said, if you remember on the cross, he said, right before he went to the cross, Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Isn't it amazing how that even Jesus himself, he struggled with this concept of, Self-denial at the point when he was about to die. And in his self, and in his struggle was not the fact that, that he was to go die and, and do what God had put him on earth to do, but that he was going to be separated from the Father. He just couldn't imagine that because he had this direct communication with the Father, and he just could ima- couldn't imagine being away or out of his presence, being cut off, because when the whole sins of the world came crashing down on Jesus, God had to separate himself from Christ. Because God cannot look on sin. He's holy. He's perfect. And so what we have discovered in some circles, that people treat God like he's a slot machine. You guys ever been to Vegas? No, I've never been to Vegas. But one of the nicknames they got, they call Vegas, is Sin City. I always thought that was interesting. Sin City. And there, then, of course, there's another slogan they like to say that, Everybody knows, you know, whatever happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. Even my 17-year-old son know that one. Because Vegas is designed for one thing. They fix that place up so that when you go to Vegas, you can fulfill every lust and desire that you want. You can indulge yourself to the full, whatever you want, if you can come and get it, it's in Vegas. No rules apply. Just come to Vegas, have a good time, and do whatever it is that your flesh want to do. Just enjoy yourself. And so people go into Vegas. They go to the slot machines, and they just go in there, and they're yanking those handles, and all it is, I just want to make more money, more, 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 more. Because the whole system is set up to get you to focus on what you want, your fleshly nature, your fleshly appetites. And all of us have that old fleshly nature, that old fleshly appetite that is contrary to the will of God for our lives. And so when we talk about your miracles and your blessing, there's a place for that. But it, 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 it ought not be the primary thing that we go seeking after. The folks out in 
that, that indulge themselves in the lust of their flesh. That's what they live for. And because they refuse to come to God, to come to Christ, and submit to his way of doing things, their life become this one big gigantic circle, and they just keep going round and round. As the scripture says, ever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. One of the things that's important to understand that when you come to Christ, that it's not about you. We sung that song this morning, it's not about you. And on the surface, that can seem somewhat arrogant, right? A person can listen to that and hear that phrase and say, what do you mean it's, it's not about me? I, I came to church because I want to feel better about life. I want to feel good about myself. I, I came to church because I want somebody to just encourage me. But worship, church, ministry is all about your worshiping God because God has already blessed you. He's already given you life eternal. And so when he talks about seeking first the kingdom of God, what is Jesus really talking about? He's talking about the denial of yourself and that we take up what is important to him. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read something to you, the latest foundation. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And you'll understand where we're going with this. And just stay with me. Don't, don't, don't fall away. We're going somewhere with this. We're going to bring it right home to where you are. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 17. Now, this is one of those scriptures that everybody know about, particularly if you've been in faith for a while. It says now in verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Therefore, if anyone, anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now, first of all, this scripture only applies to anyone who is in Christ. So if one is not in Christ, then this scripture does not apply. It talks about, it speaks about about one who had been born into the family of God, one who had been born again, one who have, who, have confessed Lord, who have confessed the Lord Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, who have, who have turned their life over to him. That is what this scripture is talking about when it says anyone be in Christ. He is a new creation. What does a new creation mean? All things become new. Now a new creation means that your focus in life has completely shifted. That now whereby you used to live for yourself and according to what you thought was great for your life, you now live according to eternity. Now you live your life in such a way that you're looking up and you're looking for direction from God for how you are supposed to live your life. I.e., that's why we have the word of God. It is to teach us what it is that God requires of us, then we are to pursue it. That's when it says all things are new. Positionally, all things are new. But guess what? We still have that old nature that's battling down on the inside of us. That old nature. Let's talk about that old nature. That old nature always want to take control, doesn't it? In fact, your old nature remembers exactly where you was in your sin before you came to Christ. 
and your old nature is always whispering and trying to tell you over and over again, come back over here. And now you're having to feed your spirit. You're having to understand that you have been made a new creation and you simply have to deny to go back that way. But all things become new. But, 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 but watch this. The old thing, he says the old things have passed away. Meaning the old value system, my old priorities, my own beliefs. I don't, I don't get my orders anymore from Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. I don't get my orders anymore from Dr. Phil. I don't get the way I live from CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or whatever the famous channels are. We don't get our direction from them anymore, but our direction in the way that we live our lives now comes from the word of God. Old things have passed away. Even though evil and sin still exist, our attitude toward them has changed. You know, when you were a sinner, when you wasn't walking with God, it wasn't a big deal for, for us to sin. We didn't think much about it. You know, we, we went out, we did our thing, and it was like, hey, we just did it. But now that you're coming to the kingdom of God, now there's that little light bulb that kind of comes on that kind of says to you, Wait a minute, what you're doing, you can't do that. So now there's an awareness in you that this is wrong, that I cannot do this. I should not do this. How do you deal in those moments of time when you find yourself, you say, you know, positionally, God says I'm a new creation, yes. Old things have passed away, yes. But I'm still having to deal with evil and sin. I still have to deal with the, these, these desires that I wish that I can do away with. Like the Apostle Paul. Paul said, the things I want to do, I find I struggle. I, I don't do it. See, the thing I hate, I find myself doing. Paul says, I recognize then there's another law that is operating in my members, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death. Paul talked about that law that's still working inside of him. That law of sin and death trying to take control, trying to pull me back into the life that God delivered me from. The life of sin and death. And so the old fleshly appetites, even though you are a new creation, watch this. The old fleshly appetites are still there. And how do you how do you overcome. How do you live in victory over those appetites is you got to feed the one and starve the other. You know, one of the things I, I said to you last week that I bought an iPod. And the reason, the primary reason I brought an iPod is because I wanted the ability for me to be able to take my little device with me and listen to and put into my spirit what I wanted into my spirit. So in other words, I don't want to be listening, I, you know, I don't want to be listening and putting into my spirit a whole lot of stuff that is anti-God. I need to feed myself with the things of God. The more I feed myself, guess what? I starve the fleshly nature of me. The more I feed the spirit side of me, then the one gets stronger than the other. He says now, he says, and, and for example, now you don't have to turn there, I'll just quote it to you. He says in Romans 6, 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Two things that scripture tells me it says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, which means that I have the power to whether or not to allow sin to reign in my body. Now, remember, we're talking about self-denial. 
I have the power to allow sin to reign in my mortal body, or I have the power to, to stop it. I have the power to stop it. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its lusts. In other words, those lusts are still there. I don't care how sanctified you are. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how much you read your Bible, how much you pray. The lust of your flesh is still there and is always trying to take control. But he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Do not let it. In other words, you have the power to control it. One of the things that we got to understand about, about our faith in God. Sometimes we think that because we get saved, that, that there's supposed to be this kind of uh, automatic thing that's supposed to happen whereby God just kind of control your mind and everything about you. And God does not operate that way. God said that he made us in the image of God. In other words, God has given us the ability and the capacity to make decisions. God will never override your will. God will never, ever override your will. You and I have to make a choice. In other words, when you came to Christ, the first thing that had to happen when you became a Christian, you had to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to become a Christian. Now, God can harass you. He can turn your life upside down like he does some people, and thank God for that because he did it to me. He flipped my life upside down. God just harassed me, and he harassed me until finally I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this. But it wasn't until I was ready to what? Submit. God, because Listen, if, if God was in the business of making robots, then he'll just save everybody and make everybody do what he wants them to do. But he didn't do that because he's about relationship. He's made us in his image. So then, then we are responsible for what we allow ourselves to get involved in versus what we don't get involved in. We are responsible for how we conduct our lives. That's why he says, do not let. In other words, don't you let it happen. You can, I, I, well, here's what I understand about God. You can pray, and I've done it. I've been there. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've, I've done everything I could do and said, Lord, please, Lord, do this for me. Take this for me. And God says, you're going to have to make a decision in your mind that you're going to follow me and you're going to obey me. And when I learned that I had a responsibility in all this, it's just like the children of Israel. What did he say to the children of Israel? He said, the land of promise, I've given you the land. But from a practical standpoint, they didn't get the land until they went out there and got it. They had to knock down some enemies in order to get what God had ordained for them to have. And so when it comes to this attitude of self-denial, Jesus talks about this thing, that if any man come out to me, he must first deny himself. This is a requirement that every believer must execute. We must deny ourselves, our own fleshly appetites, that old nature, because it's contrary to what God wants for our life. So to deny oneself as a Christian, and this is my definition, but I think it'll help you, and I want you all to stay with me. This is, this is life-changing, I believe. To deny oneself as a Christian is, watch this, to resist and avoid anything that contradicts the word of God in your life, it is to deny the urge to control your life and allow God to manifest his desires through you. So denying oneself is an act of your will. 
And one of the things that we must understand is that there are, there's a responsibility that we have before God to conduct our lives in such a way that we don't allow certain things to dominate us. So it's an act of your will. It's up to you. So as a disciple of Christ, our responsibility then, then it's up to us to put in place strategies and plans and all of these things that will help us to make the right decision in our moment of weakness or in our moment of temptation. Because you're always going to have the struggle with the flesh. You're always going to have the struggle with the flesh. But the way to overcome it is to make a decision that, you know what, I am just not going to do this any longer. I'm going to deny what I want right now. And this is what the whole Christian life is all about. Denying what I want and saying, God, what do you want from me? That's when you'll find your peace and happiness. That's when you find your joy. That's when you find your life. That's when you'll find, and the devil plays tricks with us, doesn't he? He keeps telling you that if you just fulfill that, whatever it is that you're doing, that you know is outside the will of God. The enemy tells you, if you just go ahead and indulge yourself, if you go to Vegas, if you will, and just indulge yourself and do whatever it is that you want to do, oh, but you will be so happy if you don't have to be accountable to anybody. You don't have to ask God nothing. Just go and do what you want to do. And everybody that I know that lives that way, they're in bondage. Because the devil keeps us in bondage because Jesus says, if you want to find your life, get rid of it. And then you'll get in this change, the abundant life. The life that God has for us. Which is a life that is much more fulfilling and rewarding. So it's an act of our will. And so now, what is the role of the Holy Spirit as it relates to this? Because some would say, well, the Holy Spirit's supposed to be there. He's supposed to control us, right? You know, the scripture says that in the book, I believe, of Philippians, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because, boy, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, then I will be able to, you know, this thing it will just control me. And I will be able to, to, just, to just, just walk with God without any effort at all. It'll just kind of happen by osmosis. But let me show you something in John chapter 16. Watch this. The Gospel of John chapter 16. And I think this, is, this would be very helpful to you. I am a, you know, I am a practical teacher. I love to teach on principles. I like to give you stuff that you can walk out of here and say, you know what, I can take that with me. And I can go with that. I can learn something from that. Show me how to walk this thing out. Don't just give me a bunch of scriptures. Just show me how to walk it out. Glory to God. And the Gospel of John chapter 16, look at this. Now, what is the, how does the Holy Spirit work as it relates to self-denial, the principle of self-denial? It says, now, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask, I'm in verse number five of chapter 16, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the helper, the helper will not come uh, to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness 
end of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and see, and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Watch this. But however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And so what is the role of the Holy Spirit? The first thing is the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is a gentle spirit. The Holy Spirit will never come and force you to do anything. The Holy Spirit, watch this now, as we relinquish control, when it talks about in that scripture, when it says to be filled, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What that means is that the way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to relinquish control to the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit work in our life as it relates to self-denial? The Holy Spirit comes and he brings all things to our remembrance. What, what does he do? So let's say, for example, you're about to yell at somebody and you know that the Holy Spirit is giving you a warning. He's saying, whatever you do, don't yell at that person that just cut you off on the interstate. Okay? Or, or you're about to make a decision. Maybe you're sitting there and you're, and you're tempted. You look at your tax situation and the enemy try to tell you, well, look, you pay too much taxes. Why don't you just go ahead and just, you know, the Holy Spirit will be right there to convict you and say, don't do that. It's wrong. So how does the Holy Spirit now? So but the Holy Spirit ain't forcing you to deny or not to do that. You have to make up in your mind. OK, Holy Spirit, I'm going to relinquish control to you and I'm going to allow you to do this. You see, let's look at it this way from this this example. When you get on an airplane, which I like, a part of me love flying, a part of me I absolutely hate it. But when you get on an airplane, you are trusting that pilot to fly you to the destination that you paid for. Now, when you get on that plane, most folks, unless you're a criminal, unless you have some kind of ill will, most folks, they, they totally trust that pilot to the point that even when they're experiencing some turbulence, most people don't get up from their seats, go knock on the door, and tell the pilot, what up with you? What are you doing? This plane is, won't you go a separate direction? You need, you need to go in a different direction. No, no, we don't do that, do we? When the pilot is flying that plane, we say, pilot, you have full control. Do what you want to do. In fact, we'll sit right there, and we'll be a, with the, it'll be a bumpy ride. I mean, we might see flashes of lightning, and we're sitting there the whole time. We may be scared because the plane is experiencing a whole lot of turbulence, but you know what we do? We sit right there, and we say, pilot, you in control. What are we just do? What are we doing? The pilot, the pilot knows the destination. The pilot is qualified, we believe, to fly that plane. Even though we have not watched and went to school with that pilot, we believe that that pilot is qualified to fly that plane. And so because we believe that, guess what we do? We sit right there and we say, Mr. Pilot, have your way, whatever you want to do. You know what? You have it. You're in control. See? That's the same way how the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit operates the same way. He, 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 the Bible says that he will come and dwell in us. So the Holy Spirit is in us, right? So the, what the Holy Spirit does is he says, he says hey, hey, Jill, uh, this is what I, I want you to do right now. Now, Jill has a choice to make at that moment. 
Jonah can say, uh-uh-uh-uh, I'm not going to listen to you, Holy Spirit. And the, you know what the Holy Spirit's going to do? He's going to say, okay. He's going to back off. And he's going to allow Jill to do whatever it is that Jill wants to do. But to the extent that Jill says, like, like, like that, 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 when you're sitting on that plane and that pilot is flying and he's in control, when, that, when, when Jill's, to the extent that Jill says, okay, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do, I surrender to you. Go ahead. Then guess what? Now she is living that life of she's denying herself and she's being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, therefore, the life of Christ is operating in her life. Why? Because she has made a choice to submit to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will come there. He will teach us. He will guide us in the truth, but he will never force us to do anything. The choice rests with us. I can choose to get up and go inside the cockpit, knock that door down, and snatch that pilot and say, get out of the way. Let me fly this plane because you don't know what you're doing. I can do that. But I mean, know that I'm going to probably suffer the consequences and everybody else on the plane if they let me do that. Because I have no clue on how to fly a plane. Don't know. And so as it relates to this self-denial thing, here's what I want you to see. That to deny yourself is a choice that you have to make. The Holy Spirit is there to help you. He's there to talk to you. He's there to warn you. He'll, he'll give you red flashing lights. He'll say, don't do this. This is the way. Walk in it. Don't do this. But you and I have to make in our mind that we're going to deny ourselves. Jesus said, if any man come to me, he must first, first deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. We want the life of God. But if we want the life of God, if we want Jesus' life manifested through us and the full benefits of that, we have to be willing to deny ourselves. Because I can tell you that oftentimes yourself, your old nature is contrary to what God wants you to do. And until you make up in your mind that, you know what, I'm just going to deny this because I know that this is not what God wants me to do. Okay, God, Holy Spirit, I'm letting you have your way right now. The Holy Spirit, if he's in you, he warns you, he lets you know, and you have a choice of whether or not you want to obey him. Now, another thing about self-denial, that you know that you're walking, you're denying yourself, watch this, when Christ's agenda is more important to you than your own. When Christ, when obeying Christ is the most important thing in your life, then you're on the pathway to the abundant life that Jesus promised. We talk about abundant life. Most people think abundance means a lot of things. And quality of life is not just based on a lot of things. If you don't believe that, uh, you know, look at our recent example of our famous uh, music star that just died. Here's a man that had millions. I was sitting there the other day watching. Uh, they showed his, I guess, his mansion on television. And this guy had a, bought a house for $19 million. First of all, that's sick, $19 million. And then he had an operation of, uh, you know, uh, carousels and, and all, these, uh, these, uh, all these little rides, like a little theme park. And it costs almost 10, uh, 10 to $12 million a year just to operate it out of his backyard. So you would think... And so when most people think of abundance, oh, they think, oh, God, you want, I want that abundant life. But you know what? Here's a man, for an example, that always talked about what? His childhood. What is he really saying? 
He's really saying that I traded a quality of life for material things, and the material things didn't satisfy. So when we talk about we talk about the abundant life, we're talking about being healthy in every area, not just having resources, but 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 having the having a life with purpose, having a life whereby your relationships are healthy, having a life whereby you've you, I mean you're not walking in bitterness or anger or anger, having a life whereby you're at peace, having an abundance of life whereby joy characterizes your life, whereby you are happy about what God is. I mean, whereby a life that you are just fulfilled in every aspect. That's real abundant life. And that abundant life comes from a place of when we deny ourselves. And say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to believe you. And if you say this is the way I should do it, then, God, I'm going to do it this way. It doesn't make sense to me, but, God, I'm going to do it this way. Now, watch this. I'm going to read this to you. You don't have to turn it out. I just want you to listen. It says here in Colossians chapter number uh, 3, it says, If you then were raised with Christ, and all of us were Christians, we've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now, some people look at that as this. In Colossians chapter 3, some people look at it this way. If you are then raised with Christ, uh, Mr. Pastor, Minister, Leader, then you're supposed to be seeking those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. But I got bad news for you. It doesn't say that. It says, since you've been raised with Christ, and when I checked out, everybody that's a believer in Christ, you have been raised from your old way of living, from your old life. You've been raised up with Christ. He's talking to Christians. He says, now, keep seeking those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, watch this. Set your mind where? On things above and not on the earth. For you died. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. You ever met people like that? If you've never met people like that, it's very, very disturbing. You know, every time we talk to them, they're just always in the, on the fifth level of heaven. You know, they're just way up there, and you can't even connect. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm here, you, you know. It, we're not talking about that. But we're talking about priority. This is the law of priority. What is first and most important in life? He says now, for, watch this in verse number two. He says, set your mind on things above. That means that you're being governed from the word of God, the principles of God, which we're going to be talking about here in, in coming weeks. For you died. Wait a minute. Did I really die? If you're a Christian, if you got saved, you died. And if you're still trying, the problem with some believers is they keep trying to resurrect the old man. In other words, the old man died. When you said, Lord, I'm going to make you my Lord and Savior, then that old man supposedly died. Here's what we keep doing. We keep going back to that old man, and we keep giving him mouth to mouth, and we keep pumping his chest, and we shock it, and we keep resurrecting that old man and allowing that old man to dictate to us how we're supposed to live when we got to understand the Bible says that we died when we came to Christ. He says, you died, watch this, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So where's my life? My life is with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. What is Christ? He is our life. You know, some people, uh, you know, you, you've heard this. Uh, you probably heard me quote this. But, you know, one of the famous things that people say all the time is, I want to make Christ a part of my life. Okay, you know, and then some people even got a little compartment in their mind. Okay, they say, okay, God is here. Well, God comes first. And what does God come first mean? Okay, God come first mean that, that um, I, I go to church 
and, um, and, and that I pray sometimes and, 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 that I, and, I, and I talk to him about what's going on. And that's mean that that's making God first. So I'll put that part over here. Then I got this, this, this other part over here. Now, this part, God can't mess with this part. This is a whole separate entity. This, this is my, no, no, no. That's not the way it's supposed to be. He said Christ is our life. That means that every decision that I make should be flow from the authority and the principle in my relationship with God. So there are certain things that I will not do that I will strive not to do. Why? Because I understand that my life is hidden with Christ in God. So therefore, I'm not my own person anymore. I don't even belong to myself. The Bible says that I have been purchased with a price. That means that God owns my body. God owns my mind. That I no longer can live for Gary anymore. When I first came, became a policeman, I got saved. I can tell you emphatically, back almost 19 years ago, that I never heard of a Fairfax County. I didn't know what Fairfax County was. It wasn't on the radar screen. All I know is I just got born again. I became a child of God. I, I decided that I was going to submit my life to Christ. And when, when I submitted my life to Christ, God brought me to this area. I had no friends, but I can tell you I had made a whole lot of enemies where I was. And I say enemies not in the sense that people were coming after me, but in the sense that they were bad influences for me. And I had plenty of that, and God took me out of that environment, set me on a new course, uh, gave me a job that I didn't even aspire to get, called me in the ministry. I had no plans to do that because as a guy that couldn't even, didn't feel confident enough to stand in front of anybody and speak. God did all of that, and, and, and I can say assuredly that, that God has been the captain of my life. He's directed me. But it only happened to the extent that I said, Lord, I'm going to deny what I want because I had some plans when I was a youngster, some things that I wanted to do. And they wasn't, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was I was going to be the next Luther Vandross. I was going to be the next famous singer. I wasn't in the dance. I couldn't do all that. But I was going to, you know, I just imagine myself being on the stage and just singing. You know, I was going to be the, I was going to make, you know, make records and I was going to do. And I remember thinking, oh, God, that's what I'm going to do. But, but God wasn't in that equation. That was just what I wanted. That's what a little childhood dream that I had. And, uh, and it wasn't something that was in the cards for me, at least not in the way that I thought. But when we submit ourselves to God and we allow God to have his way and we deny our own selves and say, Lord, what it is that you want, I'm willing to do that, then we will find the kind of success that we need and that we have been seeking so hard for. Romans chapter 12, and I think this is going to probably, this is going to be our last scripture and then we're going to be done. I'm going to wrap this up. Romans chapter number 12, it really brings home the principle of self-denial. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, another scripture that we're all familiar with Romans 12 verses 1 through 2 it says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies watch this a living 
sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Proper self-denial begins with right thinking. Do you know that there are still some people out there today that are still struggling with the fact, I'm talking about Christians, I'm talking about so-called believers, that are still struggling with whether or not the Bible is all of the word of God. Oh, well, you know, I believe some of this word and some of the Bible is true, but, you know, some of it is not. You know, and whenever, if we're still struggling with that, how many know that it's hard to deny yourself for the cause of Christ if you're not really sure that what he says is true? But it's interesting that he said that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. You know, when you talk about the word sacrifice, the word sacrifice means it's a destruction or surrender of something for the sake of something else. And so when he speaks about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, that means that every single day I live my life and I, and I put my own nature on the altar. I give it up. I allow it to be killed. I sacrifice what I want, what my fleshly nature wants in exchange for what God wants for my life as he has revealed it in his word and through the scripture and by his Holy Spirit. That, that I deny myself, that, that, that I'm a, a living sacrifice, that every day I live my life and I sacrifice what I want for what God wants. And that's a tall order. He says we are to do this by the renewing of our minds. What that simply means is we've got to come into agreement with what God says. We've got to come into agreement with what God says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. In other words, we need to begin to think like God thinks about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. And how many know we can't, be, we, we can't properly deny ourselves and embrace the word of God if, if we haven't really come to a place where we've renewed our mind to begin to think like him? When I renew my mind, when I begin to think like God, and I come into agreement with what God says. Now I am going to work in such a way that I am going to, I'm going to allow the spirit of God to have control, to have dominance. Why? Because I'm changing the way I think. I'm not going to think like the world thinks. I'm not going to embrace what the world says about homosexuality. I'm not going to embrace what the world says about politics. I'm not going to embrace what the world thinks about relationships and marriage and all of that. I don't care how much they say that God made me this way. I don't care how much they say that this was just the way that it is and God just want me to be happy. And God does, God's word does not say that. And so in order to be transformed and not be conformed, then we got to agree with what God says in his word. And so when the person comes up to me and says, God made me this way, and I'll look them with all the, love my, all the love I can muster and say to them, God did not make you that way. You just need to be born again so you can get delivered from that. Because 
And the reason why they won't deny that, because they're convincing themselves, for an example, talking about self-denial, that this is okay. And if you believe that it's okay, then, you know, you're, you're going against the grain, then you're not going to deny yourself if you feel like it's okay to do it. And so we got to, so proper self-denial begins with thinking like God and, and allowing ourselves to be conformed to what God says that we're to be conformed. That means we're to, we're to change our mind, change the way we think and begin to think like what God says, which means we got to understand his word. I say to people all the time, when God's word comes into your life and he reveals to you a truth, your job is not to question it. Your job is not to sit there and say, okay, let me think about obeying it. Your job is to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to deny what I think is right because I see what your word says I'm supposed to act this way, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. That's the way that we should live as Christians. For it says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 5, we are destroying speculation in every lofty thing, raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means that everything that happens in our life, we're going to make ourselves obey Christ. Every thought that comes in our mind, we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to post it up against what the word of God says. And the word of God is to have preeminence in that situation. And so this is a, a principle, I believe, that is fundamental and life-changing. As we learn to deny ourselves we will find what we have been hoping for. And this is the message we must not only tell ourselves, we got to tell people out there who don't know God. People out there who are struggling. And this is our cross. You know, our cross sometimes means that we're going to have to do the uncomfortable thing, the unpopular thing. You know, our cross is the suffering that we endure for our faith and our confession of Christ. It's our struggles with the flesh. Sometimes you have to abandon certain relationships, take up your cross, follow God. In other words, whatever it takes, you say, Lord, I'm going to follow you right here, right now. I'm going to deny myself. It's an act of your will. We must do it. So understand the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus requires, watch this, self-denial, earthly sacrifice, and bearing your cross. But let us take up the cross willingly and cheerfully, considering it a great honor to live for him who died for us. Bow your head, let us pray.